0: Welcome to Bright Now, a podcast about parenting and educating talented kids, sponsored by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth. I'm your host, Jonathan Plucker, the Julian C. Stanley Endowed Professor of Talent Development at CTY and Johns Hopkins University. Today's episode was inspired by questions I often receive about the college search and admissions process. In a previous episode, we talked about how to start the process, and today we're going to focus on the actual admissions process. I can speak from firsthand experience that the process can be vexing as my daughter is going through it right now. We have two distinguished guests today who will help us get a better understanding of how admissions works. Sitting with me in the studio today is Ellen Kim, the Dean of Undergraduate Admissions at Johns Hopkins University. Ellen was previously Vice Dean of Strategic Planning at the University of Pennsylvania. We're also joined today by Sasha Timi, the Executive Director of the Office of Admissions at Indiana University Bloomington. Sasha has been an active leader in the admissions community, serving as chair of the National Association for College Admission Counseling's Professional Development Committee. I obviously work at Johns Hopkins, and I used to work at IU Bloomington, so I'm not even going to pretend that I'm not biased here. I think both universities do admissions very effectively, and I'm very pleased to have Ellen and Sasha with me today to talk about what they do. Ellen and Sasha, welcome to Bright Now.
1: Good morning. Thank you.
0: Uh, Ellen, let's start with a fairly straightforward question. Uh, What are admissions personnel at your institution looking for in a college application?
2: So I think very broadly, um, to give you a sense of all the things that we look at and consider in the process, um, there's some core pieces to an application that our committee will ask for and look at, not just as individual documents or pieces of an application, but really how all those pieces come together to paint a picture of a whole student and a whole person. Um, So where um, I'll start is sort of uh, the order that the student might be thinking about the different pieces of the application. First is their transcript, which is is a document that shows us the types of classes a student took, as well as their performance in those classes over high school. We also ask for a number of recommendation letters. Um, we uh, look at a counselor recommendation letter, as well as two teacher recommendation letters. And then throughout the application, we also look at their list of extracurricular activities, as well as a couple essays. So for us in particular, um, we have the personal statement that students typically send to all the, all the schools that they're applying to. And then we also have an essay that is specific to Johns Hopkins University. Um, The topic of that essay for us anchors on something that we feel like um, represents the value of our institution and will help the student make um, a case for why we could see them in our classrooms, in our learning environment. Um, So that question anchors on a learning experience that the student may have had. It doesn't necessarily have to be an academic one, but one where they learn from others um, through a collaborative experience. And we feel like that gives them an opportunity to talk about how they would engage in a community, academic or otherwise, um, in a way that could be a good match for us. So that's kind of the general overview. Um, But when we look at a student's application, we're not just thinking about, you know, can they come into our classrooms and do the work and pass the classes and graduate, but we're really thinking about who are the students who can come and thrive in our Mm -hmm. campus. Um, on our campus, take advantage of the resources and faculty members that are um, in our classrooms, and engage in our particular community and culture. So obviously, that decision gets made by far more than just looking at GPAs and test right. scores.
0: Now, uh, that's the uh, small private university, small, small to medium-sized <laughs> uh, private university perspective. Uh, Sasha, you're not at a small private uh, university. You're at a very large public. How, how, is, how is what your team looks for different?
1: Well, Jen, I think people might assume that it is more drastically different than it actually is. All of the things that were mentioned are, are certainly requirements and components of a completed application that we're going to ask students to submit. The way we review, though, and what we're looking for is, is fairly similar. No one factor that you just heard would actually cause a student to be admitted or denied. It really comprises a body of evidence that demonstrates a student's readiness for the academic experience at IU, tells a story about the students' past experiences and how they hope to translate those into their future, and then gives us a sense of who they will be when they come to our campuses and how they will contribute to our environment. So we also, even though we are large and receive tens of thousands of applications, are conducting a holistic review that takes all of these things into account. I think a lot of people are surprised by that, but it's, Fairly similar.
0: Um, I sh- should have asked you both this to start, but um, uh, Sasha, I, roughly how many applications do you get, and for how many acceptances each year?
1: We'll receive uh, over forty thousand applications, and we'll usually admit somewhere you know over thirty thousand, depends on a given year.
0: Okay, uh, Ellen, how about how about for Hopkins?
2: Um, so we will get about thirty thousand applications, and we'll admit about ten percent of those students.
0: Okay. Uh, Sasha, this next question is uh, is for you first. Um, uh, I've certainly seen firsthand uh, with my daughter and her friends that uh, bright students often agonize over uh, early action versus early decision versus regular decision. Um, I'm really interested in uh, both of your perspectives. Are those things really all that different? What 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 sort of if if a student's considering um, going early action or early uh, decision? What 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 sorts of factors should they be considering as they as they try to make that decision?
1: We practice an early action application program, which is non-binding, and that's the inherent difference between early decision and early action. So early decision is an application program by which students who apply, should they be admitted, are confirming they will attend that institution. Early action simply means that a student is showing early interest in an institution and by agreement we then show early interest in them and afford them a decision by a certain notification date, and that is posted and available for students. It is non-binding, so that if a student is admitted, they still have the full cycle, which uh, as a profession, we outline May 1st as the national candidate's reply date, by which all students declare their intent to enroll at a particular institution. So through early action, a student is declaring an early interest saying, you know, hello institution, I am very excited about your offerings, but I'm going to also be keeping my options open. And that gives us a chance to review that group of students with that early intent and that early eye on the rest of the process.
0: Um, I, uh, Ellen, does Hopkins, I'm not familiar with it, does it, do we do early action and early early decision or just one or the other? Or?
2: So we do early decision. um, And that is a little bit different because when a student decides to apply early decision to us, um, the deadline is typically the first couple days of November, depending on the year and how it falls in the week. Um, But when a student decides to apply early decision to Hopkins, they're essentially saying that of all the schools out there, they've done their research and they've thought about what they want out of a college experience. And they believe that they they are going to be the happiest and be the best match for our campus and our classrooms. So typically when a student is thinking about early decision, we encourage them to think about two key things because it is a commitment. One is that um, they are sure Sure. that they've done their research. And that means they've done their research about the academic environment, the social environment, maybe even the location. They've had a conversation with their family about um, the financial aid landscape of the school, as well as um, the realities of their family situation so that they can make um, a good decision about um, their options as they go through this process. The second, piece that we'd encourage them to think about is, is your application as strong as it can be? Because early decision and early action deadlines are um, earlier Earlier, than (laughs) than other deadlines. So you want to make sure that your application is as strong as it can be and that there's nothing that's really going to change in the next couple months um, that you could change in the next couple months. So um, if all those things are true and you feel confident that you've identified the school where you feel like you're the best match, um, early decision or other early programs could be a good option for some students.
0: Yeah, they make a lot of sense. It's... <laughs> Um, uh, Ellen, what what are some common mistakes that bright students often make in their college search admissions process in your experience?
2: So I think, um, you know, we understand this is a stressful process for students. They've never had to go through this type of process before. Um, So there are a lot of mistakes that students might make. The reality is most of them are okay. Um, We understand that these are 17-year-old students going through the process. But um, one piece, um, maybe I'll focus on the essay, um, that we see pretty commonly is as students go through the application process, they get to the essay and they've really never had to write a piece like this before. Um, And what a lot of students default to is they ask themselves, okay, what does the admissions committee want to hear? And then as a result, they write an essay that they think we want to read. And what ends up happening is they write an essay that many other students who thought the same thing um, sat down and drafted and wrote. And they end up writing an essay that isn't as... um, you know, distinct or unique to who they are as a person. And as a result, the admissions committee misses out on an opportunity to hear something about the student that is truly representative of something that distinguishes Mm. that student um, and ends up reading an essay that's usually pretty familiar to us. Um, So I would encourage students to take a step back and look at their whole application and think about, you know, what are all the things that have already been displayed in the rest of my application? And what's something else about me that makes me uniquely me that I can tell the admissions committee in this essay space that maybe is missing from the rest of my application?
0: I read a column, I can't remember which newspaper it was in, about a year and a half ago, um, and it was by a, a selective college admissions officer who said, "Please stop writing essays on how your uh, spring break mission trip changed your life. <laughs> you get so many of those, but it doesn't tell them about you." What I think is really important. Uh, Sasha, how about you? Any any advice, or any sort of common mistakes that you see bright applicants make?
1: Well, along with what is, was shared, I appreciate that this is a stressful process. We certainly, as college admissions officers, understand that. We understand that we all have different requirements. We have different deadlines. Our faculty have set different expectations. So we are humans in this human process as well. And so what was mentioned about that, usually those mistakes, they turn out okay is true. The only thing that I would add is that when we see at the end of this process, those are not the mistakes that really have the longer term impact. As humans, we choose to ignore our instincts. We ignore that self-talk about what feels right in this process. It even informs our college search. It informs how we fill out the essay or complete the essay question. This can stem from students' you know, self-image, fear of missing out, seeking praise. They form a college list that is more about the approval of others and less about what actually brings them energy and brings them joy so we encourage students in this process to pay close attention to the subjects the topics the settings the experiences that bring you excitement for the learning process and then find institutions that can feed those it's why we also you hear students who receive advice that don't discount the feeling you get when you go to a college campus because there is an instinctual response to that space and that place. And I know that's difficult for a student because it all sounds very you know, soft and, and less specific, but really those are the experiences and that's the truth telling that's going to keep them focused and excited about the institution and retention is critical to their success on this path. So that's just the one piece of advice that we share with students is that they shouldn't lose themselves in this process as much as that is possible. They're going to get a lot of solicited and unsolicited (laughs) advice, but the more they know about their own interests and what is important to them is going to be important for their success.
0: I should note that uh, you're both being very generous with your time. In general, it would be generous, but this is, we're actually recording this at the end of March, which is probably the worst possible time for both of you. Um, And uh, uh, it's just so, so busy, so, so stressful. Since I have a daughter going through this process, um, it's amazing to watch sort of the social media discussion about admissions as first early action and early uh, decision rolled out, and then really for the past about two to three weeks. Others have started to roll things out. Um, one, one, one question that I see asked a lot on social media by uh, parents, students, um, and they're not, they're not complaining, they're just confused, is sort of the uh, situation where they get into Competitive College X but they don't get into less competitive college. Why? And they're so confused by that. Um, I know how I would respond to that, but I'm really interested in how um, admissions deans would, would 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 respond to that. Uh, Sasha, do you want to take that first?
1: So speaking back to, again, the students' goals for this process and their individual goals for their future – we want students to remember that the institution also has goals. The decision is not about them being better or less than. Yes. It's, there are so many factors that go into this process that they shouldn't assume all the responsibility for that decision, and they shouldn't lose their power in this process. We ultimately want students to retain their dignity in this process, and no one in life wants to be described or defined by any one metric. And so we don't want students to feel that they are being defined by a test score or a GPA.
2: Um, So typically when we see um, students engaging in those uh, social media or online dialogues or forums, what we commonly see is students or families will post statistics, right, GPAs or test scores. And ultimately they, I think, understandably get confused because they have in their mind a way that they think this process works. And I think fundamentally, there's this misunderstanding that college admissions is an achievement or a, Mm. you know, award that they're getting at the end of this process. But this is the college application admissions process is a process by which we make a match between a student and our campus. And, um, you know, I think all of us can agree, um, students, parents, people in admissions offices, we can, all agree that a student is far more than their metrics, right? Their GPA or their test scores. And even though those are the easiest things to compare, especially in a form like social media, um, in the admissions committee rooms, we are thinking about far more than um, just numbers, right? A student's GPA or class rank or test scores. Um, And while those things are important, most schools ask for some form or some combination of those, um, those pieces. Uh, For a school like ours, what those numbers do those are not the reasons that a student will be admitted. Those are reasons that a student sort of stays in the conversation. What admissions committees are really thinking about is not just what you're able to achieve, but what it would be like to have you in our classrooms, what it would be like to have you um, on our campus community. And that information comes from far more than just your GPA and test scores. We are thinking about how you represent yourself in the application, how you represent the things that are important to you. Um, We are thinking about how your recommender write about you and talk about you and how you contribute to the learning environment. Because those are the indicators that um, we will use as evidence to suggest how you will engage in our classrooms and on our campus and in our communities. And those things are much more complicated and harder to compare, especially in an online forum. Um, So I would encourage students to think about Um, you know, how do you want to represent yourself and represent the things that are authentically and uniquely you um, and focus on how to represent those things in a meaningful and distinctive way through your application.
1: I would just reinforce what was shared about that this is really a match. And it's a match between the student's interests, the student's goals, and what the institution offers. And the more that a student is aware of that, what they're looking for, the more that they can retain their confidence in this process, regardless of outcome, because they will find an institution where that match can occur.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, So I don't need to tell the two of you that there has been a lot of recent discussion in the news about about college admissions lately, Um, not necessarily the most positive news, but it has really, I think, led to some interesting and hopefully, constructive discussions about how college admissions in this country could actually change. Ellen, if you could change one thing about how we do college admissions, what would it be?
2: So I think one thing that I think a lot about is actually building on your last question is... You know, so much emphasis is put on the result of the application process, but the college application admissions process is a journey for the student and the end outcome or the end goal is not just the admissions decision, but it's really about how they Embark on the rest of their educational career. And it's a process that goes far beyond just that initial decision. And so, um, similarly to what Sasha said, I think it's really important that students focus a little bit more on the college search process, which begins with their own interests, their own values, the things that are important to them in a learning environment. And actually, the secret here is. The more you understand what you want out of a college process, the stronger your college search is going to be. And ultimately, that will make your application stronger as well, because you're able to demonstrate that match even stronger in your application and will typically end up in a more successful process for those students.
0: Uh, Sasha, what what do you think? If you could change one thing.
2: So I would love to
1: take this even further by removing the stigma associated with choosing just one path. There are so many paths that a student can follow in order to get to their, their future of meaningful and fulfilling path for work and life. But with the stresses that we place on this process, it makes it seem like there is only one way We have students who have an opportunity to gain immediate skills by entering the workforce. We have students who may attend a two-year institution with the potential for entry into the workforce or future transfer opportunity. And then we have students who enter a four-year institution. Unfortunately, in our push to encourage students to seek out post-secondary learning, we have unintentionally set a tone that only one way is the correct way. And I think that puts pressure on students to have this all figured out to feel either less than or more than depending on the outcome of this one piece of the process. But really, there are all sorts of ways to get to that goal. And if we could free students up to pursue them confidently, I think we would inherently take some of this pressure off of uh, the stress off of this process.
0: As a uh, parent of a student who's going through it right now, uh, it it is a stressful process. Uh, But I really do like the perspective that you both shared about, you know, uh, Making sure the focus is about being uniquely you, and thinking of this as the first step in a journey, because it really is. It's not. It's not the finish line, which is how so many parents and families, especially of bright students, see it. It's not a trophy. You don't get a trophy um, after you get the letter. Uh, you get into college. And then your adventure continues, which I think is a really important perspective. Um, I could talk to both of you all day long about these things. uh, But again, this is a very busy week for both of you. Uh, Thank you both very, very much for being here. And uh, thank you for being on Bright Now.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you.
0: That's it for this episode of Bright Now. Tell us what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes by emailing your suggestions to brightnowpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy Bright Now, support us by sharing the podcast with friends on social media, and be sure to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.
1: Bright Now is produced by Jonathan Plucker, Tracy Guerin, and Trisha Schellenbach. Audio production by Iris Starkangelo and the team at Clean Cuts, a three C's company. Our score was written by Austin Coughlin from Noise Distillery. Special thanks to CTY's Interim Executive Director, Amy Shelton. Bright Now is underwritten by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth, a nonprofit dedicated to identifying and developing the talents of academically advanced students worldwide. Find us on the web at cty.jhu.edu and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.